Gardens on Vancouver Island is going viral. The brawl was posted to Facebook and it features two students. And now some are concerned it's the result of racism at the school. Catherine Urquhart joins us now from the newsroom with more on this. Catherine, first a warning. Some viewers are going to find the video disturbing. But this happened in Duncan. Well, that's right, Chris and Sophie. The fight happened yesterday afternoon outside Cowichan Secondary School in Duncan, but not on school property. There were two groups of boys, some of them Caucasian, others First Nations. Here's a look. Now, kids who witnessed the fight say they're troubled that school officials who they say saw what was happening did not intervene. Parents claim tensions have been escalating for the past few weeks and that racism played a role. We've blurred the faces of those we interviewed in an effort to help prevent any further escalation of the situation. I want to ask why the principal was just standing there. That was really disappointing. He made the cops come do their job. He's the principal of the school, he should at least tell the students to stop. We brought to their attention about two, two weeks ago, we told the principal about this. My son told him about a month ago. They've been calling our children down and saying that they were trash and that they didn't belong here and they wanted them to leave. I wish they felt the same way, if, like if they're in our position and all that. And they wouldn't understand, they, 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 wouldn't. Put, they wouldn't understand the pain they put us through. Yeah. How hurt or angry it can make us feel. The Cowichan Valley School District issued a statement saying the principal could see something was brewing. He was there encouraging students from both groups to let go of the issue and end their planned fight because of the size and intensity of the group. The principal called the RCMP for support. And Catherine, uh, what is the RCMP's involvement at this point? Well, the RCMP are now involved. They wouldn't comment today, saying they are still gathering information. The school district told us that several students are now facing suspensions as a result of that fight. Chris, Sophie, back to you. All right, Catherine, thanks. Tensions running high in a Vancouver courtroom today, and security was stepped up at the sentencing trial of Arvin Golich. Golich convicted of manslaughter in the 2015 death of Luca Gordick in Whistler. Our Grace Key was in the courtroom today, and Grace, with time served, Golich's sentence will work out to about five and a half years. The family of the victim disgusted with that. Yeah, things got very heated in court after the sentencing decision was handed down. It was held in the high-security courtroom. Vancouver police were also on hand. The family shouting at one point and then stormed out. Oh, this is disgusting. I can't believe it. My son's not here anymore. He gets seven years. The family of Luca Gordick stormed out of court, outraged that Arvin Golich has been sentenced to seven years in prison for their son's death. Minus credit time served, that's a little more than five and a half years behind bars. And instead of being uh, convicted with first degree murder to organizing, what the hell, what kind of system is this? It makes you sick. It was in May of 2015 when 19-year-old Luca was stabbed to death in a swarming incident at Whistler. Golich was found guilty of manslaughter. The fight was over a girl believed to have been abused. The judge noted that the motive for the attack was senseless and ridiculous. She also did not believe Golich was remorseful. Our position was and is that my client uh, is genuinely remorseful for his actions. Go on, go on. 
Court proceedings over the last two years have been heated between the two families. Outbursts in and out of court were a regular occurrence. After the sentencing decision, there was another explosive exchange. Luca's mother flipped off Golich, pounding on the security glass window, screaming profanities. The family stormed out while the decision was still being read. Uh, Luca Gordich was clearly an exceptional young man. And uh, to be sworn to kill for less than a good reason, no one deserves to be killed that way. My family in Rumen. <laughs> These guys, they not only kill Luca, they killed my mom and my dad and my grandparents and everybody. Richmond RCMP's anti-gang unit has shut down an illegal booze can, an underground lounge and gambling parlor. Shortly after midnight on Sunday, the anti-gang unit identified the operation in an industrial part of Richmond. The two-level unit equipped with liquor, projectors karaoke machines, a gambling area, and professional-grade lighting like you'd find in a, night, in a nightclub. A video monitoring area was also discovered with cameras trained at the front entrance. It was the second such discovery in the past month. The province is releasing its plans today for recreational marijuana regulation. 19 will be the minimum age to legally possess, purchase, and consume marijuana in this province. Aaron MacArthur has more on what we're learning about how and where it'll be sold. The timeline for legal marijuana in B.C. is so tight, most of the details have yet to be worked out. Today, the Public Safety Ministry coming out with some key principles. Pot will only be sold to people over the age of 19, and the government will control 100% of the distribution. The distribution model will be done by the LDB, so it will be publicly owned by the province. Uh, the distribution model is not the retail model. That's still to be decided. So many details haven't been finalized. Pricing, taxation, and the retail model won't be unveiled until the new year. But the government has said it will allow private as well as public stores to coexist. The dispensary industry isn't convinced the new model will be in the best interest of consumers. In terms of government stores, what are those government stores going to be? Are they going to be ded dedicated stores? Or are they going to be liquor stores that have cannabis being sold alongside liquor bottles? I mean, th those are some big questions that still yet need to be answered. A large component of this framework will end up on the plates of municipal governments. Richmond, for example, has indicated it may not have any sales within its city limits. While many people point to the city of Vancouver's regulation of dispensaries as a unique made-in-BC solution. City councillors in Vancouver have already been wary of selling booze and weed together. Well, we have uh, two psychoactive substances co-located, very easy to obtain together. Uh, it does lead to abuse and addiction issues. Across the country, most people already know what the future marijuana landscape will look like. In B.C., where an industry infrastructure already exists, consumers and the public at large have no idea what legalized marijuana will look like day to day. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria to talk more about this. This is going to be very time-consuming for the new government, Keith, and that raises concerns that other legislation could fall mm -hmm. by the wayside.
Yeah, as I reported a couple of weeks ago, about 18 bills have to be amended just to pave the way for legalized marijuana in B.C. Well, only certain people know how to amend legislation. They're legally trained. There's only so many of them that work in the provincial government. Talking to Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth today, he tells me that the whole drafting process for legislation has been totally turned upside down, but the need to draft all these bills related to marijuana. So, Bills, we, we touched on one last night about ticket sellers, those bots, uh, consumer protection legislation now pushed off to the fall. He told me today uh, some firearms legislation that comes out of that task force probably pushed off to the fall. A number of other pieces of legislation will obviously be delayed as well because next spring's legislative session is about a few budget bills and a whole bunch of cannabis bills. It's the new reality with legalized marijuana. All right, Keith, thanks for that. All right. Now to the mysterious disappearance of a 21-year-old from Whistler. Willie Linsky was just weeks from graduating from BCIT when he vanished last April. A couple of clues placed him in Alberta, but Vancouver police opened and closed their case. Linsky has never been seen since. Tonight, his mother is speaking exclusively with Global's Tanya Beja, desperate for answers. He had a really good childhood. I mean, I live in a pretty special spot. The last time Heather Linsky saw her son, Willie, they were celebrating his 21st birthday. He was jovial. He was talking. He was telling stories. I didn't get an indication from him that anything was wrong at that time. At the time, Willie was just a month shy of graduating from his computer programming course at BCIT. But on April 13th, Willie's brother alerted their mother Willie hadn't returned to their Kitsilano apartment. Then he said the scariest thing to me that I've ever heard. He said, you know, now that I think of it, I'm not sure that he came home last night. And I started to panic. Linsky filed a missing persons report with Vancouver police. They found Willie boarded a Greyhound. Surveillance video and his credit card linked Willie to an Edmonton hotel. His cell phone pinged the next day in Calgary. Police determined Willie was safe and closed the case. This was so abnormal and so out of character that I, I just, as a parent, I couldn't accept it. And I needed some more answers, and I thought that there must be some other avenues. She hired a private investigator who says there is little detail which could reveal a motive for Willie's disappearance. We've done forensics on the computer extensively. We've done social media, search social media, contact, um, and a multitude of things trying to locate him. And now we would like the public to help us. RCMP and Willie's hometown of Whistler also began investigating. The fact that he's been missing this long is uh, is certainly a concern. And, uh, you know, I'd hoped that uh, we would have heard from him by now, but that's not been the case. If there's been a sighting of him. Heather is also doing her own searching, setting up a Facebook page, hoping to generate leads. I need the torture to stop as well. Our family needs it to stop. <laughs> It's been the hardest thing we've ever been through. Anyone with information is asked to contact police. Tanya Beja, Global News. Members of North Shore Rescue are mourning the loss of another team member. Jay Piggott passed away this morning in hospital after a long battle with cancer. Amazingly, while fighting for his life, Piggott achieved full-time status as a paramedic with the BC Ambulance Service. He was also chosen to join the NSR helicopter flight rescue team. He leaves behind his wife, Denise, and their two boys, Jake and Max. Highway 99 northbound partially reopened early this morning after a truck slammed into the 152nd Street overpass in South Surrey. 
Northbound lanes were shut down Monday when an overheight truck hit the overpass. Engineers and Ministry of Transportation were on scene assessing the stability of the overpass almost immediately, with crews working through the night to clear debris away from the highway. The northbound left lane of Highway 99 reopened just after 5 this morning. The overpass is still closed in both directions. Canada Post is investigating an alleged case of road rage involving a postie. Look at that. Postal worker. You're not going to have a job for long. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. It happened Monday afternoon in Surrey on 108. The passenger in the vehicle filming this says the postie was driving erratically, weaving in and out of traffic and yelling at other drivers. Now, while Canada Post won't get into the details, they did say, we take this very seriously and we are taking appropriate action. The behavior in the video is obviously unacceptable and does not reflect our employees who are working hard to deliver the holidays. I see what you did there. (laughs) All right, now, uh, the news wasn't entirely unexpected, but it has still shaken the global sports community to its core. The IOC banning Russia from next year's Winter Games in South Korea. It's punishment for Russia's elaborate state-sponsored doping in Sochi. Squire Barnes will join us in a moment with more on that. But first, Nadia Stewart has the details and the fallout. After a lengthy investigation, a damning decision heard the world over. The Russian Olympic uh, Committee is suspended with immediate effect. The International Olympic Committee shutting out Russian officials. Samuel Schmid, Switzerland's former president, led the IOC's investigation into allegations of systemic doping and manipulation by the Russian government. His 17-month-long probe now being made public. The report uh, clearly lays out an unprecedented attack on the integrity of the Olympic Games and sports. Just before the meeting, we had the opportunity to familiarize ourselves with the report. The IOC also announcing it won't accredit anyone from Russia's Ministry of Sport for the 2018 Games. Their former Minister of Sport, banned for life. Experts say the IOC had little choice. Russia's had the most athletes uh, eliminated for doping in, in several of the last Olympics, and um, it's unfair. It's, it's like getting a head start in a 100-meter um, race. Former Olympic weightlifter Christine Girard is still waiting for her medals after athletes she competed against were disqualified because of doping. I'm hoping that this, will, this, this message will get stronger and stronger. What we want to see in international level is fair play and clean sport and clean athlete reach their limit. As for Russian athletes, only those invited can attend the 2018 Games, participating as an Olympic athlete from Russia or an OAR. Their national anthem won't be played. Their national flag won't be raised. Nadia Stewart, Global News. And Squire Barnes joins us now. All right, Squire, let's talk about the World Anti-Doping Agency. (laughs) What's their responsibility in all this? Well, I mean, first of all, there was a story in the Washington Post last year that at these Olympic Games that we had in 2010, a Russian anti-doping agent went to WADA, World Anti-Doping Association, and told them their state-sponsored doping going on in my country. This is what they did about it. Mm -hmm. Nothing. For four years, they finally put him on to a German journalist who broke the story open. And the New York Times also had a whistleblower from Russia, Mm -hmm. and they put the story out there. Then and only then 
did WADA and the IOC react? This happened right under the IOC and WADA's nose in Russia. How does that happen? How does that happen right underneath their nose? That's a very good question. And, and real quick, as we saw Christine Girard in that uh, piece waiting for her, her medals, what's the status of that whole appeal? Well, that's all up in the air still, too. We'll have to wait and see on that. But she should get her medals. Oh, and by the way, coming up in sports, I'm going to talk about how this could affect Canada's Olympic hockey team. Mm-hmm. Because it depends how the Russians react to what's been done today. Right. I'll tell you about that later. All right. Thanks, Wire. All right. Now, new rules to cut down on money laundering through B.C. casinos. It's been happening so effectively for so long, there's even a name for it, the Vancouver model. It's a way for criminals to wash the proceeds of crime at high-volume casinos. Ted Chernecki reports on what the NDP government is promising to stop it. Nice, clean, laundered $100 bills is what every criminal yearns for. And they've allegedly been finding ways to launder their ill-gotten fortune at several lower mainland casinos. Uh, It may seem like common sense to British Columbians when someone shows up with a duffel bag full of $20 bills or a hockey bag full of $20 bills, uh, that there's some kind of a problem there. Today, the Attorney General announcing that come January, if a gambler comes into a casino with more than $10,000, he wants to know who he or she is and where the money came from. In addition, government regulators must be seen in casinos 24-7. Incredibly, as it is now, they're only on site Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. There appear to me to be... Uh, repeated allegations of similar conduct, very troubling conduct taking place at casinos and very few, if any, steps being taken to address uh, the ongoing systemic issue and the serious allegations of transnational money laundering. The Vancouver Sun's Sam Cooper broke this story. The allegations were that about $14 million worth of uh, $20 bills used on the street came into River Rock Casino in one month in June 2015. Allegedly, criminal money would enter a casino, sometimes literally in duffel bags. Tourists, known as whalers from Asia, are loaned the dirty money to gamble. They get to keep that money, agreeing to pay it back in China. The allegations are this was drug cash from the streets of BC that was loaned out to these gamblers. So this is what the RCMP means when they say transnational organized crime money laundering and it's being called the Vancouver model by international intelligence experts. With today's announcement authorities can go so far as shutting down non-compliant casinos and it's only the start as a full report on money laundering in BC is due in March. Ted Chernacki Global News. A mother, Bobcat, a and her yeah. and her kitten make an appearance in Maple Ridge, walking the backyard fence of the Leslie family. Family says the cats are just two of a menagerie of animals they've seen in their yard, including a crane, beavers, and even bears. Bit of a zoo there. Bit of a zoo, a little shortcut. <laughs> Well, if your Christmas plans include a real tree, get ready to pay more this year. And as John Wall reports, you also might want to get it sooner rather than later. All right, is this the one? I think so. For the Cornish siblings, there's no contest when it comes to a fake or real tree. Still not quite ready for that fake tree yet. <laughs> <laughs> like the smell of the real tree. It just sets the, the atmosphere of, of the Christmas for, for us and our family. But opting for a true evergreen over artificial is getting even more expensive. Thanks to a major cut in the Christmas tree supply from the United States. I think it's, you know, it's a sticker shock for lots of customers because our prices have gone up in the last um, two years probably 30%. And this shortage of trees south of the border didn't just happen overnight. 
According to their National Christmas Tree Association, it all started with the economic downturn of the 2008 recession. Why are we seeing the effects now? Well, it takes about seven to 10 years for a tree to fully grow. And that's caused wholesale prices to go up about five to 10%. As Christmas tree sales were down, prices were down. And so during those years in 06, 7, 8, we were uh, not selling as many, so we didn't have the space available to replant. So the shortage nearly a decade in the making is being felt when U.S. grown trees like the noble firs are in the highest demand. Something this market needs years, not days, to correct. I think it would be nice if it leveled off now, and I don't want to see another 10 or 15% increase in the next year or two. While garden centers with longtime relationships with suppliers have been able to get stock, some smaller lots have been left behind. Well, you'll notice less tree lots around. Um, what might happen is there's going to be uh, some trees that are not going to be available. Even with higher prices, popular types like the noble fir are likely to sell out soon. So the Cornishes are cutting down the size of their tree and the cost to keep their Christmas tradition alive. John Hua, Global News. Well, chalk up yet another international award for BC's wine industry, one of its biggest yet. West Kelowna Wine Tours has been named Global Wine Tour Operator of the Year through the Luxury Travel Guide. They were nominated by travelers and beat out nations like Portugal, Greece, South Africa, and even France. This is going to be amazing for the Okanagan Valley on a worldwide scale in order to get wine and culinary travelers to our region. The icing on the cake, the luxury travel guide has 2 million subscribers, all of whom will soon know about West Kelowna wine tours. We'll be competing with a lot of people for those tastings, won't we? Quick update now on the Highway 99 traffic issues we mentioned a moment ago after a truck hit that overpass. We mentioned earlier the northbound left lane of the highway reopened early this morning. And we can also report now that the 152nd Street overpass is open to single lane alternating traffic. Keep that in mind if you're heading in that area. We're going to grab the kids and all their stuff and I don't know where we're going to go. Wildfire season not over in Southern California. Thousands forced to flee as more than 150 homes and buildings burn. The ferocious fires exploded in a matter of hours, fueled by low humidity and the Santa Ana winds. And tonight, officials are warning the fire hazard will be extreme, at least through Thursday. This is the wildfire that's been unstoppable. It came in the middle of the night without warning. There's another one. John and Letha Harrison escaping with their pets and the clothes on their back. Our whole lives were wrapped up in that house. Everything. It's all gone. Everything. The Thomas fire erupted like a volcano, pouring down hillsides, ripping across ridges. Whipped by powerful Santa Ana winds, gusts topping 60 miles an hour. Too dangerous for firefighting helicopters. This the view for crews driving into the mouth of the blaze as some 30,000 residents evacuate. Brandon, right here, I got a nozzle! Neighbors helping neighbors beat back the flames. You find out there are people out there that you don't even know that this come to your aid. Really, really awesome. With hundreds of buildings feared destroyed, thousands more are in danger. A hundred patients evacuated from this hospital just in time. Look at what you're seeing, and oh my God. 
As crews battle multiple fires in the Los Angeles suburbs, in Silmar, dozens of homes are lost, a number that will likely climb. Hundreds of animals are also caught in the path of fire. Long night and a long day as crews lose ground and families lose homes just before Christmas. I just can't believe here at 65 years old. I got to start over. Donald Trump is once again stirring up international relations to the point where the U.S. State Department is now warning its employees to avoid some Palestinian areas of Jerusalem and the West Bank. Tomorrow, Trump is expected to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and possibly move the U.S. embassy there. Jerusalem, the ancient city claimed by three of the world's great religions, now central in a dispute pitting President Trump and Israel's prime minister against most world leaders. The president telling the heads of Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia and the Palestinians today he will recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, an unprecedented move breaking with U.S. policy since Israel was created. Despite warnings today from Turkey's President Erdogan, the kings of Jordan and Saudi Arabia, and all of America's NATO allies, that this could kill hopes for Middle East peace. The State Department tonight warning embassies around the world to be alert for violence, like the Palestinian uprising that erupted when Israel's former Prime Minister Sharon went to Jerusalem's contested holy sites in 2000. A warning echoed multiple sources tell NBC News by Mr. Trump's own secretaries of state and defense. Is the secretary of state on board with this? He's made his positions clear to the White House. I think the Department of Defense has as well. But it's ultimately the president's decision to make. He is in charge. But the president will not move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem right away, despite a campaign promise. We will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. All this complicating Jared Kushner's task to negotiate Middle East peace. It could start uprisings in the region, in Jordan, and all of these places that see this as anathema. In health matters tonight, American and Polish researchers say they've developed a better test for an earlier diagnosis of ovarian cancer. The scientists say the new test improves on current blood tests, which only detect the disease at an advanced stage. At least 600 women have been tested so far, and the results have been promising. It's estimated that one in 75 women will contract ovarian cancer in their lifetimes. So today is officially, I would say, day one of this upper-level ridge. And uh, we had a look back in the record books. This is very rare for us to see a big upper-level ridge like this where the jet stream drives these systems well to the north of us. We haven't seen a blocking ridge like that in December since 1999. So this is very rare, everyone. Typically, we would see it in the summer, and the temperatures would be soaring into the 30s. So uh, incredible conditions. But when we get a big ridge like that, if you have any relatives in the east, this is what happens in the east. It gets cold. Temperatures are not going to climb above the zero mark over the next, well, extended period, like just like we're going to see. So how long? I'm going to push this in motion. This is what we call a model that will show us the flow over the next many days. And as you can see, right through until Friday, December 15th, mid-December, we are going to see a very similar pattern. So this ridge of high pressure, everyone, is not going anywhere. But the only thing we have to concern ourselves with is not necessarily rain, because that's not going to push in, but 
But we will see some valley cloud or fog. That will be the problem. If it gets trapped in, you may not be able to break out of it. If you want to see the sunshine, head for the hills. That's where the inversion is happening. You'll see the warmth and the sunshine. And across the south coast, the problem tends to be the fog. So in areas like Nanaimo and, and Comox, you didn't break out of that cloud cover. And that could be the case over the next couple of days. But generally, morning cloud or morning fog, frosty conditions as well, and afternoon sunshine. That's the pattern for the next seven to potentially longer uh, in terms of days. Across the north, so the cloud cover you see there is generally in the morning. Again, frosty conditions in the morning, so watch for icy conditions. You'll need to leave a little bit of extra time to uh, get rid of the frost on your windshield. Temperatures will not warm up much in the southern interior, and that's because today you didn't break out of the cloud in areas like Kelowna, so only about minus one is your high. Meanwhile, south coast breaking out, so warming up to about seven degrees tomorrow out in the Fraser Valley, a good eight degrees, and we will continue with that same pattern. The days I'm concerned about for us in terms of potentially not breaking out of the cloud or breaking out much later in the day will be Friday and Saturday, but I think tomorrow and Thursday look really nice. All right, here's your weather window for tonight showing you a little bit of fog which is apropos from Haida Gwaii. Thanks to Carolyn for that. Oh how peaceful. Love it. Thanks Christy. You're welcome. A spectacular entrance by Santa in Florida didn't go quite as planned. No the skydiving Saint Nick was delivering toys to a charity volleyball tournament in Tampa Bay but the landing went way off the rails. The skydiver actually bounced off a power pole before crashing through the tree. Thankfully, his only injury is a broken leg. It could have been a lot worse. He needed Rudolph. Next time, use thinking? the reindeer. What? That's what they're there for. That's right. <laughs> Always use the reindeer. Kids, he'll be fine. Don't worry. Yes, he'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> you should see us during the commercial break. It's crazy. All our phones. Well, you got to keep up to date with That's the latest, right. and, we, right. and the latest in Zach, sports right now. He does now. have scores on his phone right I now. I do. I, I do have scores. <laughs> scores. Uh, the uh, Canucks have Carolina at Rogers Arena tonight. Vancouver is 8-2 and two in its last 10 games against the Canes, so that means anything. But the Canucks are the fourth-worst home record in the league right now. They are higher up in the standings than anyone thought they would be because they've been so good on the road. But they did, of course, win at home on Saturday against Toronto. Nobody thought that was possible coming off a road trip. Travis Green says don't read into the stats too much. They haven't been as bad at home as you think. Our two best games of the year might have been Dallas and New Jersey. We lost those. I, I think sometimes you can over-dissect things. It's a fine line. I'd love to be 12-0 at home. Uh, but I want a team that can... Win at home, win on the road. Their game's consistent. We've been talking about finding consistency in our game. Uh, but, yeah, we, we're at home now. Hopefully we're feeling good about ourselves, and you can get on a roll. Well, the Canucks are not top ten in the standings yet, but they are top ten when it comes to what their team is worth. Forbes magazine put this out. Rangers, the number one team in the league, worth $1.5 billion. The Canucks check in eighth overall at 730 million U.S. Well, the ban of Russia at next year's Olympics could adversely affect our men's hockey team. If the Russian Hockey League, the KHL, retaliates and bans its players from playing in the Olympics, a lot of players Canada wants to use in the Winter Games won't be able to go because they are under contract to KHL teams. 
In two pre-Olympic tournaments so far, the majority of Canada's players are KHL guys, 23 of 38 to be exact. So a KHL ban for its players at the Olympics would force Canada to scramble quickly to find replacements, and those replacements would not be as talented and have the same kind of experience as the KHL players have. Solomon Alamimian, Brian Burnham, Ty Long all made the CFL's all-star team today, fourth time for Alamimian and the second time for Burnham. Now, last night, Steelers-Bengals game looked like it was directed by Quentin Tarantino. It was full of carnage and casualties. Pittsburgh's Ryan Shazier in hospital with a spinal injury. Now, that came about because of a tackle he made leading with his head. No word on his prognosis just yet. There were a couple of head injuries on the Bengals, Joe Mixon and Vontaze Perfect. And shockingly, not a third for Pittsburgh's Antonio Brown. Two of the hits have resulted in one-game suspensions. Juju Smith-Schuster, one-game suspension for that block on Burfecht. Take another look. Now, Burfecht, a couple of years ago, hit Antonio Brown and caused a concussion. So maybe that was revenge. Not good revenge, but revenge. How about this? Brown. Holds onto the ball for the touchdown despite taking that shot to the head. And the guy who gave it to him, George Aloka, has also been suspended for one game. Well, they are finally putting the big ski jumps in Whistler back to work. Some future Olympians and former Olympians are flying with skis on this week. Off the jumps that have been out of the spotlight for the last seven years. Just the absolute feeling of flying. It just brings me and it's like nothing else it's quite a different feeling just to float down in the air and uh, you're in the air for around four or five seconds and it can really uh, you can really feel the air pressure here here would be Whistler Olympic Park and for the first time since the 2010 Winter Olympics the world's top young ski jumpers are soaring through the rarefied air of the Callahan Valley Matthew Sukup watched those games as a 12-year-old. Seven years later, he's chasing his own Olympic dream alongside 101 other jumpers from 20 nations. It's uh, quite an advantage to have a, an event at home. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one and events in the future. Germany's Andreas Wunk competed at the 2010 Games. Wunk helped Germany win a silver medal in the team competition. This is the first time he's been back at Whistler Olympic Park since those memorable games. Yes, uh, after feeling of the emotions and uh, yeah, the great feeling um, yeah, nearly eight years ago. I'm looking forward to get a World Cup uh, every year here on the, that hill. So, uh, yeah. so I think there's a, it's a perfect venue for, for great competitions, big competitions. They prove how good they are in, in doing those competitions during the Olympics. And so, yeah, definitely there should be more competitions like this. That's the ultimate goal here, except wrestling a World Cup event out of Europe isn't as simple as you'd think. Ski jumping is prominent there. Funding an event here in Canada, also a major issue. But hosting a Continental Cup, which is one rung below the World Cup, is a long overdue jump in the right direction. Yeah, I think uh, if we show success and, and get a kind of keen following with, with the Continental Cup, I think it's something to look at in the future. Jay Janowa, Global Sports. Here's a look at the conditions on the mountains. Dry weather will continue most places with a little sunshine as well. Whistler Blackcomb, a base of 152 centimeters. Grouse 187, Cypress 202. Sasquatch opens December 15th. Revelstoke, a base of 129 centimeters. Manning Park 75 and Powder King 171. Big White, the base 113, Silver Star 105, Sun Peaks 86, 
Apex opens tomorrow. Well, it looks like concert goers aren't the only people being victimized these days by shopping bots. That's right. The ticket bot technology is now being used to snap up the hottest toys for Christmas so they can be sold, resold at huge markups. At the top of three-year-old Angela's Christmas list this year, fingerlings, little interactive finger puppets. Once she saw the sloth, she fell in love. Her uncle, Anthony Saulnier, determined to make her happy, found the toy sold out everywhere he looked. Fingerlings are among the season's hottest toys targeted by cyber scammers. Dubbed Grinch bots, software allows scalpers to snatch up the toys before people like Anthony are able to buy them. They're then resold by third parties at huge markups on major e-retail sites. It makes me very angry. If it's man against computer, the computer's going to win. Fingerlings, normally $15, now selling for $100 on Amazon, 1000 on eBay. The LOL Surprise Doll lists for 10 bucks. It's 50 on Amazon, 500 on eBay. Nintendo's Super NES Classic, normally $80, is commanding up to $700 on Amazon and $18,000 on eBay. We're calling on retailers to block the bots and give parents and kids a fair chance to get the toys they want. The National Retail Federation says it supports efforts to strengthen enforcement against bad actors. Anthony Saulnier doesn't have time to wait. He shelled out $75 for his fingerlings, a 500% markup. It puts a big damper on the holiday. Thanks to the Grinch, bots trying to steal Christmas. Blake McCoy, NBC News, Chicago. Aww. What they'll do for the kids, hey? Yeah, the least wasn't watching that story, though. Oh, yeah? A surprise, right? Right. Mm. Anyway. These bots are scary. It's like Terminator. <laughs> That's true. Maybe not, they're going to become self-aware. not quite that bad yet. First, they're stealing the toys, then... <laughs> okay, before we go, we want to show you this. It's a world record for the longest-lasting rainbow, uh, and it was set by the University of Taiwan, or University in Taiwan. That's right. It's the Chinese Culture University. It says the rainbow lasted a full nine hours. They're now trying to collect enough photos and videos to create a kind of rainbow clock as proof for the Guinness World Records Committee.